Today in your Bible, please, the book of Psalms, number 142. Psalm 142. And as soon as you find it in your Bible, why just stand to your feet, if you will, please. Psalm 142. Uh, I had a fellow ask me, why do we stand every time you read the Scripture, and why do you kneel when you pray? And I thought, boy, what a good opportunity to preach a sermon. I wish I had more people to listen to it than just him. But we stand because we want to show reverence to God's Word. With every fiber of our being, we believe that we're reading from the Word of God, do we not? And so when God speaks, we listen. If a judge walks into the courtroom, everybody stands. Well, it seems to me like the least we could do when the Word of God is being proclaimed that we could stand. And I kneel when I pray because, interesting thing, as you read your Bible through this year, a little jab there, as you read your Bible through this year, you will notice that in the Bible, people always are either standing or kneeling when they pray. Now, read your Bible and check me out on that, okay? Now, I know sometimes we sit, it's, it's appropriate, but every time we can show reverence and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to do it, don't we? And so, you know, if He were to come today, you know what we would do? We'd all kneel, even in that crowded pew. You'd, you'd tear up some pews, but you would, you would get down if the Lord Jesus walked in this room. Every knee will bow. So it's a great opportunity every time we come to church to just train ourselves to reverence and respect the name of the Lord. Now, in the book of Psalms, number 142, and in verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. And the way wherein I walked have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld and there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. Let those words sink into our hearts today. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, listen to me, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. They are stronger than I. And bring my soul out of prison, not a real prison, but out of being in bondage to my emotions there, he's saying, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Now, my text today is in verse 4. I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And you may be seated. David wrote these words before he was king. He was actually hiding in a cave in a place called En Gedi. I've been to En Gedi. It's a, 
mountain that comes down, and at the very foot of it, a few hundred yards from the bottom of it, is the Dead Sea. So the mountain looks out over the Dead Sea. And if you'll stand down at the, at the shore and look up at the mountain, you will see it's just pockmarked with caves. There are caves everywhere around it. And in one of those caves, David was hiding. And he was hiding because he was being pursued by Saul. And Saul, the king, was trying to kill David. He had made multiple attempts. He had failed every time. His motivation was that he was jealous of David because of the people's affection for David. David had become a national hero after killing Goliath, and the people were always uh, flocking to David. Apparently, he was a very charismatic figure, and Saul was not as much so, and so the people were very much attracted to David, and Saul became very jealous of it. And now David sits in that cave up there in the darkness looking out over that sea, and his emotions are stirred because of what is happening. And he says, and, and, and of course he feels that his life was in danger. We read other chapters in other books of the Bible that describe this scene, and Saul was there, and not only by him, he was not by himself. He had a whole army with him, a whole uh, troop of soldiers looking for David, attempting to kill him. And so David felt the danger, and he was lonely, and he was afraid, and he was in despair, really. He says, oh, God, deliver my soul from the prison that it's in. And then he says those memorable words that no doubt you've heard before in verse 4, the last phrase, no man careth for my soul. That's the title of my message. But I want it to be more than the title of a message. Boy, I pray that God will impress this upon your heart today, that it will be, that the Holy Spirit will dig down deep in your soul today about this. Because like David today, we're pursued not by Saul, but by Satan. And Satan would love to drain from every church in America and the soul of every Christian any compassion for lost people today. And he's pretty well succeeded, I'm afraid, at this point. And so the aim of my message today, my goal in the time that I have remaining, is that no one in Florence in eastern South Carolina, in the PD area, would ever be able to say that nobody cares for their soul because there's a group of people at the Florence Baptist Temple. There is a church that says, above everything else, this is our priority, that we will tell people of the only message that can bring hope to their souls today. I hope that you will listen to me because the aim here is that I would stir up an army of people that would be witnesses, flaming witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes with me, number one is I see a tragedy here, a tragedy. The tragedy is that nobody cares for our soul. What a tragic statement indeed. You see, the tragedy is that so few people 
consider the soul to be of sufficient worth to even make the effort to try to care for people's souls. May I say it again? The tragedy is that so few consider the soul to be of sufficient worth that they're doing anything at all to try to reach people for Christ. We have law enforcement who protects our rights, our persons, our property. We have physicians who will treat our bodies. We have lawyers who will defend our rights. We have business people who will provide goods and services to us. Farmers grow our food. Educators that attempt to train our minds and a thousand other categories of people who meet the needs of humanity, who meet the needs of the population around us, but who will care for our souls. Who cares about the souls of the people of the PD area of Florence, South Carolina? Well, you say, that's the role of the churches, isn't it? It is, and it's the role of every Christian, every serious Christian. It is our individual and personal responsibility as well. I read this week in Newsmax magazine that of all the institutions in America that churches have suffered the most under COVID. And I know that's true because of the nature of what we do. The nature of what we do is to gather people together. And uh, We went through a period of time when we had to lock down, and then we've got people who are afraid, and then we've got people who are sick, and we've got all kinds of different reasons that mitigate against our effectiveness. Tom Rayner, I quoted this last Sunday night. Tom Rayner is the head of Lifeway. Lifeway is the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. It used to run all these bookstores around the country, 500 bookstores, Christian bookstores, Now, they closed the bookstores down during COVID, and they went to an online operation. But Tom Rayner is well-known in all church circles. Really, he's an authority on church growth and so on. And I read to you a couple of paragraphs from an article that was recently published under the Lifeway banner and that Tom Rayner was the author of. And here's what he said. I'll just give you the headline. He says, evangelism is dying in America. Evangelism is dying in America. You think about it. Most of you grew up in an era when churches had VBS. Churches had Sunday night services. Churches had Wednesday night services. Churches had church-wide visitation. Churches had all kinds of activities, and a week in October or whenever for a revival, and another week in March for another revival, and the people supported it. The people were there, and there was this constant evangelism going on and this constant effort of reaching people for Christ. You think about it now. Average church doesn't have Sunday night. They don't have Wednesday night. They sure don't have visitation. I've had preachers tell me, we don't want to go out and bother people. We don't want to bother people. And that's our excuse for not not contacting people anymore. And so evangelism is shrinking in America. Junior Hill, the 
well-known evangelist that used to come here often. He's incapacitated a little bit right now, but Brother Junior used to preach a sermon, and he called it the unsalted generation. And the, and the idea was that there's a whole generation of people that have grown up, and they've not been salted. We are the salt of the earth, and we've not reached out, and we've not touched them. And so they're growing up now, and I've certainly observed that, that I make the assumption people know Bible stories and things like that when I preach. And in reality, many young people now have grown up, and they don't even know those very familiar Bible stories that we assume that people know. You see, it appears that nobody's caring for the souls of people. An unsaved man's wife had been working on him for years and trying to get him to go to church with her one Sunday, so praying that he would go to church and the preacher would share the gospel and her husband would be touched and he would get saved. Finally, one day, she talked him into going to church. And the preacher's subject, why we need a Girl Scout troop. And we chuckle. But isn't that sad? The one time the man went to church, we talk about having a scout troop instead of the gospel of Christ. If we analyze the calendar of our church and most churches, 99% of churches, I guess, we would find out that most of the activities are focused internally. They're focused on each other. And I've just preached a long series of messages on loving one another. Sure, we're supposed to love each other. Sure, we're supposed to have a very high priority of ministering to each other in the church. And that's the that's the that's the sign of the Christian. Jesus said, by this, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so we want to love one another, but you know, we also have a responsibility, maybe even a greater responsibility to that lost world that's out there that didn't come today. Their car's not on our parking lot. They're not in this building. They're not even thinking about spiritual things. They're not even thinking about their soul this morning. They're sleeping in. They're watching TV. They're on their way to some recreational or pleasurable activity. They're not thinking about their soul. And you see, we somehow have to devise strategies that we're going to reach them. Churches spend any more. There's been a growing trend. We spend quite a lot of effort and money directed toward humanitarian projects. And you can go to church and hear a lot about the homeless, most places. You can hear about the less fortunate. And, but we're talking about their physical condition. How much do we talk about their souls. Do we care about the souls of the people in our area? Who cares about that great mass of normal people, people like you, people who are working a job, people who are raising their kids, people who are fighting the traffic, people who are trying to get through life and pay the bills and they're busy, busy, busy trying to give themselves and their children a good life, and yet at the same time, they don't have time. They never give thought to their soul, and there's nobody talking to them about it. Five times 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Jesus said, go. And here's who he said to go to. He told us to, to go. Every creature. Go to every creature. Rich, poor, old, young, black, white, yellow, every socioeconomic level, doesn't matter. Go. If there's a human being, they have a soul. And go to them and take this wonderful gospel, this soul-saving, life-saving, eternally relevant message to them. And he's given us the resources, the people, the buildings, the land, money. But there's one missing ingredient in that formula, and that's us. And that's having the heart, the compassion, the burden, the care for those people out there that don't know what you know and don't experience what you experience, who don't have what you have. And by God's grace, I will not let evangelism die at the Florence Baptist Temple. I will not. There are certain indicators of despair in a culture. And one of those, of course, is depression. When people fall into depression, it means they've given up hope. And usually or often, often I should say, the next step is drug addiction. And just this last week, we came out and read these figures now that just astounded me when I heard them. The figures said that this year, for the first time in the history of the country, over 100,000 people died of opioid uh, overdoses in America. Over 100,000 people lost all hope and so deep into the drug culture that they accidentally overdosed or what some of them intentionally overdosed. In South Carolina last year, we had over 1,700 known opioid deaths. The year before, we had 1,000, like a 70% jump in one year in our state. Those figures ought to, they just have to touch us. They're dying around us of despair. People tell me, you know, well, people are so busy, they don't want to talk about their souls. They don't want to talk about salvation and so on. That's not my experience. My experience is that they're very open to talk about it. The problem I have is they're so busy, I can't get them slowed down long enough to talk about it. But they, they're open to it because I think people sense the need so deeply. I was on the phone the other morning. The sheriff called me, T.J. Joy. And so we, he, he called me about another matter. So after that, I said, Sheriff, I want to ask you a question. I just read this statistic on opioid addiction. Is it, is it valid? Am I okay if I get up and start talking about that? He said, oh, yeah, preacher, it's valid. I can promise you that. He, he said, in fact, right here in Florence County, right here, we're having two to four of those overdoses every week. 
right here in our county. Now, those are indications that people have lost all hope, that they have no, no expectation of better things in their life. And a person who understands the Bible and has Christ and His Holy Spirit in their life, they're not going to fall into that kind of despair. And if they do, there's help for them. We can counsel with them and work them out of that. But when people have, they don't know the Lord, just put yourself in their place for a moment. When they don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, what hope do they have in certain circumstances that they fall into? So who does care about the soul? No man careth for my soul, said David. Well, who does care about it? Well, I can tell you who cares about it. All of heaven cares about the soul. All of heaven cares about your soul. God the Father cares, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, powerful evidence of how much he cares, he gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not despair, but will have everlasting life. And if I had the wisdom of Solomon and the logic of the Apostle Paul and the boldness of Simon Peter and the knowledge of the angels, if God were to give me the oratorical ability, the tongue of Demosthenes, and I had all of eternity to talk about it, I would not be able to describe adequately to you the love of Almighty God for you. God cares. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, and nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God. Yes, God cares for you, my precious friend. And secondly, I want to tell you, Jesus, His Son cares. And go up with me to, today, up, up, up to the third heaven, to the abode of God, and put your ear upon His chest and hear His great heart beat, and you will hear Him say, I love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, woman. I love you, human being. And you go down, down, down to the lowest level of hell, the liquid lake of fire where Jesus went to baptize His soul for our salvation, and you will begin to discover how much He cares for you. And go back, back, back through the centuries of history. Go back to the hill of Calvary where he died on the cross. Go back there and hear his, see his tears and hear his moans and look at his blood that was shed. And it tells me that he loves me, that he cares for the souls of people. The Holy Spirit cares. He comes and woos and convicts and stirs and draws people to Him, and people hear the gospel message, and they hear about the love of God, and they say, I want that in my life. I need that in my life. I need forgiveness of my sins, and they hear that, and the Holy Spirit convicts them, and they receive Christ, and He creates in them a new life, a regenerated life. 
a new birth. All of heaven cares. God the Father cares. The Son cares. The Holy Spirit cares. The angels care. Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. There is joy in the presence of the angels in heaven over one soul that repenteth. All of heaven cares. So the question before us is, do we as Christians and as a Baptist church that proclaims itself to be probably the most conservative in the area, grounded on the Word of God, and we are, but have we forgotten what is priority, what is preeminent, what is most important? that we care for the souls of people. In your Bible, Ezekiel chapter 22, will you turn there with me? I could quote it to you, but it's so good for you to look at the Scripture and think about it and absorb it. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, and one of those classic verses, I sought for a man among them, God said, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. These are the days just prior, or uh, uh, just after the captivity. The Jews had gone into captivity. And God is revealing to Ezekiel what his thoughts, his heart, his plans were. And he said, Ezekiel, I looked all over the nation for a man who would stand in the gap, a man who would care for the souls of the people. And some of the saddest words in print, that last four words, but I found none. There wasn't anybody in the whole country who cared for the spiritual welfare for the souls of the people of Israel. I'll tell you, many people today might be able to say, no man cares for my soul. But I'll tell you one thing, nobody can say no one cares for my soul because our Heavenly Father and our Savior and the Holy Spirit who resides within us, they care for our souls. And my prayer today is that we will have a fresh baptism of evangelism and that we will care for the souls of people, that it will become priority to us. And we don't have to do everything that every church does. We don't have to have the fullest program in town. But what we've got to have is a heart for the thing that God had a heart for. And that's the salvation of people. Oh, we've got to, we've got to win them. As Jude says, we've got to snatch them from the burning. Jude chapter 1 and verse 22. And my prayer then is that nobody would live in the PD area of South Carolina and ever look up to heaven in despair as David looked out of that cave and say, no man careth for my soul. That somehow we would touch every soul and that they would say, those people over there at the Florence Baptist Temple, they care. I can go there and I can hear the gospel. I can go there. And somebody will open up a Bible and they'll talk to me about my soul and I can find hope 
and I can find life in Jesus Christ. You know why this is so important? It's so important because of the value of the soul. The value of the soul. Back when I was a young man and I was contemplating whether or not I was called to ministry, and I've told you before, the last thing I ever wanted to do is be a preacher. I watched my dad a preacher. I, I went home to see him. I was living in Texas. I went home to Sumter to see my dad, and he's in a hospital bed in the front room of the house. And Mama told me the doctor said, well, it's because of the stress. He was having a big contention, a big church fight going on. And she said, just overwhelmed your dad. And one day he came in with a pain in his chest. And I said, it won't be me. I'm not going to have a heart, heart attack over a bunch of hard-headed Baptists. And don't ever say what you won't do. Because now I are one. I'm not a heart attack. I mean, I'm trying to give heart burn, not heart attacks. You understand? Okay. Well, but my prayer since I've been here is that nobody could ever live in this town and say nobody cares for my soul. You know why that soul is so valuable? Turn with me again. Let's look at another verse. Familiar verse. You probably can quote some of this. It's Mark 8. But the whole passage is so powerful. Mark 8 and 35. Whosoever shall save his life, attempt to hold on to his life and do what he wants to do with his life. Whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, there's nothing so valuable that you would trade your soul for it. In other words, the soul's the most, more valuable than anything in the material world. And what is it that makes my soul your soul, the souls of the people out there, what is it that makes the soul so valuable? Well, what is the soul, first of all? Well, the soul, according to the Bible, is the mind, the ability to think. It's the emotions, the ability to feel, and particularly to put ourselves in the place of others to empathize. No animal can do that. An animal can fear. An animal can feel affection, but an animal cannot, cannot put itself in the place of another. So as to, to think, to reason, to feel emotionally, and the will, the power to make choices. That's, those three th elements compose what we call the soul in the Bible. There are verses that indicate that, every one of those, I just don't have time. And the Bible says that when God made man, he made him in the image of God. The image of God. Not the physical image of God, because God is not a body. In the spiritual, the soulish image of God, God thinks, God has emotion and feels, God reasons and chooses. So the image of God that I bear and that you and every human being bears, that image is that soul part of us, that 
ability to reason, to think, the rationality, and the emotions, and that volition, that will to make logical and rational decisions. That's why the penalties for murder have always been greater than the penalties for any other crime until just recent days, is because to kill a human being, to murder a person, is to smash the image of God, is to destroy the very image that God stamped upon every human being that makes us unique from every other living creature. And so that makes my soul valuable. Secondly, it's because my soul is immortal. Two reasons the soul is so valuable. Because it bears the image of God and because it's immortal. And so the moment that I was born and that doctor held me up and smacked my bottom and that cry came out and I sucked air into my lungs, I became an ever-living, never-dying, endless, dateless, timeless, eternal individual. And there was a time when I was not, but there will never be a time again when I am not. I'm eternal. Nothing else on this earth is eternal. The diamonds, the gold, the dirt of the earth itself, none of that will be eternal, but my soul will be eternal. It'll live on and on and on and on. And through the future millennia, I will exist somewhere. And so, Jesus said, if you lose the soul, what would you give in exchange for? You've lost it all. So I see a tragedy. The tragedy is that nobody cared for the soul. I ask the question, who cares about the soul? Heaven cares. I want you and me to have a revival of caring because the value of the soul demands that we care for it. And so I close with a prayer. And my prayer is, oh, that God would sweep across this congregation and would break our hearts for the souls of men and women and boys and girls who are lost. They're hard to reach today, harder than they've ever been. But Jesus didn't say, go, unless it's hard. He just said, go. We've been pretty spoiled in America. We've not had a lot of opposition in America. And it's more difficult now because the affluence, the materialism, the secularism. But we can't quit, church. Oh, that God would sweep across the congregation and break our hearts for the souls of men and women and boys and girls who need Christ. I'm praying that you're going to make a one-time, lifelong surrender to witness for the Lord Jesus like you never have before. And I'm not asking you to just come this morning. If you want to do that, that'd be wonderful. 
But I want you to be thinking, and this to be such a deep decision, that five years from now, if you're here, you'll still be doing it. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.